0: Welcome to Play by Players, an MLSPA podcast. This show is brought to you by the players and is all about the players, both past and present, who have plied their trade in MLS. You'll hear about each player's journey into the game, their careers and life after the game, on the field and off. It's all on the table. Now here's your host, former MLS player, Bobby Boswell. Welcome to another episode of Play-By-Players. We are joined by uh, one of the fan favorites of MLS. Uh, if you follow this guy, you know that he's a, a great player on the field, um, but he's also a great guy off the field. He's played uh, several MLS teams. Some of them are no longer around, or one of them in particular, which we're going to touch on. Uh, he's had a little bit of a stint overseas and a lot of time with our, uh, with our youth national teams. Please welcome to the podcast, Zarek Valentine. Thanks for having me. Appreciate the intro. Hey, no problem. Uh, We were joking before we started. I said no one's ever worn a, uh, you know, for those that can see this, no one's ever worn a a jersey, uh, a basketball jersey with that. Uh, Shout out to my guy, Daryl Morey. That's his new squad. Um, My buddy. You're you're repping the the Philadelphia 76ers or the Yeah, the Sixers. Yeah, no, no, the Sixers. The
1: team's doing all right. I'll tell you what. uh, It's going to be tough to get past Brooklyn, but. Uh, the Sixers are fun to watch, and, uh, and bead's my guy, so I had, to give him, I had to wrap him a bit.
0: Awesome, awesome. Well, uh, well, well. give us an idea. of uh, You kind of hinted at, at what preseasons, you know, we're coming to an end here. The end is in sight. I, I always say it's uh, preseason's kind of fun, but you, you're anticipating the season. Um, talk to us a little bit about what it's been like and, and what your expectations are this year.
1: Uh, it's been a long time coming. I, I, normally we start – January 20th January 23rd you know pretty much come in uh for a March 1st start but we had to push stuff back due to COVID I mean everything's changing due to COVID but um thankfully it was pretty fluid and and now we're about 10 days out nine days from the first game which is fantastic because it's a lot later than we're normally used to and it's been a lot of work and it's a little bit uh warmer in Houston than we're, we're used to I'm sure you're pretty uh pretty accustomed to that but um it's exciting. I mean, the, the, the league is, is starting to boom. You got CCL games on, so it's fantastic. And um, I know everyone's getting ready for first kickoff. I know we play San Jose in the, actually the opening game. Hopefully you can make it, and it'll be a fun
0: one. Yeah, well, I, I was saying uh, I showed up to some of the preseason games, and they were not okay with uh, random people just uh, popping in. So uh, I'm looking forward to being welcomed uh, officially at, at the games. And, uh, but let's talk about you uh, I always start. We go back to the beginning. I told you I would do my homework. Um, I, I really want to go back. Uh, tell me a little bit about uh, Lancaster and yeah. I, I've been there. I, I call it Amish country. Um, oh, it is. You know, tell tell people what it's like growing up in in PA.
1: Um, for those who don't know, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, uh, up up until I think last year was the Amish capital of the world. So you'd roll up to the local grocery store, uh, Kmart, which we which is now probably a Target. And there's, you know, parking spots and there's horse and buggy stalls. Um, And that's pretty much where we grew up. And we were in this awkward place in terms of, you know, close enough to Philly to get some decent players, but far enough to where we didn't want to travel there, you know, two, three days a week. So um, there was actually a pretty good club that's popped up, you know, through the ranks as such players as myself, uh, Houston Dynamo, along Andrew Wenger, uh, Russell Canals, and somebody named Christian Pulisic, who actually uh, is from Hershey, um, a little bit outside Lancaster. So, um, growing up in Amish country is kind of this random spot. Um, we're just, you know, we're, we're small town living in a way. But for some reason, it's this weird hotbed for kind of MLS players. Dave Horst came up playing through there, and you think you played there. Yep, yep. Um. So it's been it's it's interesting how there's been so many players developed out of this random area, but um, it's something unique that we all have in common.
0: Well, I noticed you didn't mention MLS great Travis Wara. Um, that's right there's a few more i missed at any time i get a chance to poke fun at that guy i'll never pass it up um (laughs) but uh but other thing you know just for those that haven't been if you ever go to uh lancaster uh i'm a big fan of family style restaurants and that place is just uh heaven for me because you go and sit down and how would you how what what did you do there how would you end up in lancaster uh listen i i do what's called mystery trips uh and that's you know you know how it is when you play; you get a random like two days off. The coach yeah. will just say, "Hey, y'all won. Um, I've decided to give you two days off." And when I was in DC, uh, it's not long enough of a time to plan a real trip, uh, meaning like to go to the beach or uh, fly somewhere. Of course. So I found a bunch of uh, a bunch of small town uh, things I wanted to see and do, and uh, passing. You know, I did a lot of PA's got a lot of stuff, especially for kids, like the Children's yep. Museum in Pittsburgh. Yep. Uh, they've got the Children's Museum in Philly, Hershey, and Park. Hershey, like there's so much stuff in that little window. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's, you know, there's mountains over towards West Virginia where they've got weird tunnels, stuff you would never plan a, a full trip for. Of course. But when, you, when you combine them on like a Tuesday, Wednesday, um, you know, that's your days off. You take what you can get. My wife huh. hated the mystery trips, but uh, that, you know. She she enjoyed looking and seeing some some guy driving by on a, a cart and buggy, but he'd be on an iPhone. You know? Exactly,
1: exactly. Like, it's one of these things you're gonna look back at and love. It's you know, you, you know, to say you went on a little two three day trip to Lancaster is probably all you want to spend there. So, <laughs> growing up there in high school and and going back to visit, it gets a little bit uh, stale. But it's always great seeing family. But it's just completely
0: different from some of the other cities that I grew up in. Okay, well, you brought up high school. Um, since we're, we're we're going there, we'll talk about. Uh, tell us a little bit about Sir Streaks a lot, the lion. Is that, is that your mascot at your <laughs> high school?
1: It is. We, uh, um, I was at IMG for a bit. Um, but then I, I graduated from Manhattan Township. Yeah. That where the streaks. Yeah. <laughs> I, how do you know that? That's yeah. so funny. Um, yeah. So, uh, Lancaster, uh, Manhattan Township was one of the bigger high schools in Lancaster. Uh, Russell and Travis all went to Hempfield, which is our rival high school. Um, so growing up playing there, that was the, you know, the Friday night lights game, which was always fun. Um, fun fact, my high school is home to Jim Fierick who's the most yep. famous alum besides my brother, Joey Valentine. Um, so yeah, so Jim is a, is a man township shriek. Um, and that's, you're, you're really going deep, which is exciting. You talked about IMG.
0: Um, I grew up near IMG. I call it the uh, a frat that is IMG. Tell us yep. a little bit about uh, being down there, I know that's where you really got your first exposure with with the national team. I think you were 15, 17s, 18s, yep. 20s, 23s. But uh, t- talk to me a little bit about um, that program and, you know, go- going away from your family to to play soccer.
1: Yeah, it's, it's difficult. And it was one of these things where I was actually a little bit fortunate in the fact that my brother was part of, uh, at residency. And he was part of the group with Michael Bradley and Dax McCarty and a few of those players. So I kind of had a little bit more insight into the day daily routine and kind of the grind that it was to, to practice in the morning. And then basically you would lift six, 7.00 AM. Then you'd go straight to training, rush back, grab lunch, get on a bus, go from, go to school from 1230 till about six o'clock in a strip mall, which was the the school that all the uh, IMG guys or the national team guys went to. Um, And then actually I was, I was cut. Um, three months into being there I thought I was like really good and hey it arrived and I thought I was great and then John Hackworth cut me and um we actually just played Louisville recently and um I always go back and thank him because I thought I was for lack of a better word hot shit I thought I was so good my brother was there I, this is where I was supposed to be and I just ended up just plateauing and almost regressing a little bit so Hackworth basically said like you know we, you you know we're going to World Cup and we need we have better guys at this moment and he cut me and then I went to IMG, and that's where I kind of regained a lot of my drive and my kind of, you know, refocused my mindset to try to push myself forward. And in terms, that's where I hit the 18s and the 20s. Um, I was fortunate enough to, to land in with a coach named Jim Rooney, who's an old MLS vet. Um, he's the guy who first scored an MLS All-Star game, took off his shirt and did the Brandy Chastain with the sports bra. Lo and behold, we all wear those now because of the yeah, GPS yep. tracking. But, yep, sure, um, sure.
0: Sure, we'll he was basic,
1: yeah, he was basically kind of the uh the tough love uh uncle that I needed in my life to basically say, listen, either you can regress and go back to Manheim Township and be with uh Brad Rutter and Jim Furick, or we can, you know, you know, pick ourselves up and, and try to get back into the national. Fold. So thankfully I had him to kind of redirect me in that moment.
0: That's awesome. Uh, just curious, do you do you play a little better when you're playing against hack? Or uh or is it It all (laughs) well
1: it's uh uh it's all water under the bridge at this point but I always I always bring it up and kind of give you know bust his balls a bit just because um it was such a bad moment and he always talks about how it was very difficult because he had that relationship with my family and you know he brought in my brother so there was this this situation but you know we're, we're all competing for jobs and I didn't understand that in the moment so I hindsight it's a lot easier for me to comprehend what was going on but in the moment I was devastated you know but I was you know, I don't tell many people this, but I was too embarrassed to ever tell my friends back home what really happened. I didn't want to say I got cut. So when I stayed down there, I didn't know the difference between me playing for IMG or the national team. They just knew I was at the same complex. Um, And I was, you know, I had to kind of swallow my pride a bit and um, you know, it ended up working out, but that was, that was a tough moment um, in, in 10th grade for me to kind of, you know, the real sink or swim moment at that, at that time.
0: Well, the reason I ask is Hack, Hack was a coach at South Florida when I was coming out of high school, oh, and, there I, is. and he didn't recruit my brother or I. So um, we gave him our best in college, and then he got to the, the pros, and I gave him my best in the pros. So I, I, I still give him a hard time. We're, I think we're friendly. I don't know if you think some funny. Players way.
1: don't forget. Everyone has a list, and yeah. that's maybe the next podcast. But everyone, every player has a list. Oh, and, yeah. uh, and, and, and that they have those special ones. And one I always get, and I've had a few good talks, is Roger Espinoza was always on my list. Because in the national final, he kicked my brother in the face, unwillingly, but he kicked him and he was all bleeding. And I found out it was Roger. Lo and behold, my goodness, this guy on the field is a scrappy player, as you know. But, um, you know, we've had some good laughs after that, once we kind of put two and two together. But um, for a while, I was like, I'm going to get this guy back for you, bro, and ended up probably getting crushed by Roger in the midfield at some point.
0: Yeah, he he always knew where he was on the field, or or you you paid the price. Um, exactly. Well, let's let's fast forward a little. Um, I know you were at the Reading Rage, uh, and then a team called the Michigan Bucks, but now that's Flint City Bucks, yes. which is a which is a much cooler name. You had surf streaks a lot, and now you got Flint City. You got some cool teams in your, our, our cool mascots, cool teams. Um, a lot of great players came through that PDL program too. Yeah, we I was fortunate enough to play
1: um for some, some really good PDL teams. I remember when I my, my first year in college when I played for the Michigan Bucks, we had a bunch of our Akron guys and some Michigan State guys. But I remember looking back at the the Reading team and that team was stacked. That that team had uh Wanger was on it, Ray Gaddis, Matt Hedges, CJ Sapong. Um that they had a bunch of MLS players on that team. And I'm probably missing a bunch and I and I'm sorry for all the guys that I missed, but um, the, the PDL was always one of these fun things where you got to play against people in conference in college and then kind of link and join force and get to know them a little bit better in, in in off season in the summers and and kind of not being the most serious of environments but I remember I really enjoyed the Michigan Bucks and, and my time there with Dan the owner um, bringing us all in and Gary who coached um, at University of Oakland who ended up playing you know I, through Steve Clark when I was in Portland they you know he coached Steve so the soccer, soccer world is very small, and I know that yep. you know that we have a lot
0: of mutual friends. And You also talked a, a little bit about – you mentioned college there. Um, you know, I, I think you probably had one of the better uh, – in terms of athletics, one of the better college experiences uh, at Akron. Uh, you had Caleb Porter there. Uh, really special teams, you know, uh, just a special group of guys. Um, arguably, you know, there's – I, you know, even before me, there were some great uh, college soccer teams, maybe at UCLA and Virginia. But uh, as far as modern day game goes, probably the best group of of college players ever assembled. Talk talk to me a little bit about what it was like to play at Akron.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was uh, very fortunate to be on some really good college teams. Uh, kudos to Caleb for being like for somehow recruiting people to go to Akron, Ohio. My goodness, he that's like. <laughs> That, that's the real skill in all this because um, I went on one college visit and I was like, "Sure, why not? Let's go to Akron." Like, like why? And then I went later in my life. I was, you know, I went to UCSB with Dan Kennedy because he showed me around, and I was like, "What did I do? <laughs> like, this was a terrible decision." Um, but uh, yeah, so kudos to Caleb for getting everybody there. And um, yeah, that was that was where I really started to abide by the the simple rule as a defender to get the ball to players who make you look good. Um, so I had a lot of uh, incredible attacking players. Uh, you know, Akron had three straight Herman Trophy winners, which is the for those who don't know is like the Heisman for you know with Steve Zakiwani And I didn't play with Steve-O. um but then Teal Bunbury won. Nagby won it. Um, so you know, I was just you know very fortunate to play with such guys that that had such talent and to kind of just you know all vibe and see the game in a very similar way. It was kind of a perfect storm in terms of in-state guys. And, you know, out-of-state guys, and um, it, it was a lot of fun. We didn't, um, and and it was one of these things where I really was pushed by my teammates, and that was one of the first things. I, I hadn't really had that before, but playing with guys like, you know, Darlington and Michael Nanchoff, and, and even Teal and Perry Kitchen, who's still around, um, you know, these guys are pushing you to be better every day, and the coach doesn't have to do as much, um, and I know Caleb, you know, is, has a big, loud voice, but Uh, when, when the group, you know how it is when the group can kind of hold each other accountable, uh, on and off the field, then that's the the best group to be a part of.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. And y'all had some success. You, you lost, uh, I think the finals your freshman year and penalties. And then uh, I missed in the final and, 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 you know, have you taken one since?
1: I did. I, 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 made mine in the semifinal, uh, against North Carolina. I missed in the final, uh, Diego Restrepo saved me. Bastard. Um, and then uh, I took one the next year in the Elite Eight. We played Cal. Um David Bingham, I I beat Bingham. He he, he dove well, but I, I got that one up on Bingham. And thankfully we didn't have to uh um yeah go to any more penalty kicks uh the rest of that year. But you know, it was it was kind of a good redemption thing for our team. We you know, we um we had made it so far and done so well. You know, I, that's why we related to the Gonzaga team. We were so fortunate we actually didn't lose that entire year um tied in the semifinal and lost in the final and um so I understand kind of what the Gonzaga group went through and then hopefully they can use that as motivation the following year which is what we did to kind of go back and you know we played some really good teams but um you know I think it was kind of destiny in that little sense to, for us to go back there and then thankfully win the national championship
0: yeah and, and I, I didn't know this you were a center back in college
1: I was um yeah I was a I I was a center back I grew up basically playing center mid but Eventually at ODP, their coach looked at me and said, listen, we don't have a center back, and you're really loud. Um, So just try to organize people in front of you, and you'll be fine. He said, make them defend for you, and we'll be okay. And then it went pretty well. And then uh, I kind of just started playing center back, you know, through the youth national teams and into college. And then Thomas Rongan was the first coach to put me at outside back, um, mainly just because of size. And I was always compared to Michael Parkhurst. 'cause he was an IMG guy too. Um and yeah, I grew up playing center back and, and learned a lot of the the just the the reading of the game, the thinking in that aspect. Um I know you can relate to that. So and then eventually now I play outside the game.
0: Yeah, that's a tough comparison to to Parky, man. He's he's a special talent. And, oh, he's uh, incredible.
1: I, I always loved watching him, loved learning from him and and just seeing the way you play the game and how, you know, we're we're similar sizes. We're not, you know, you're six foot whatever you're strong you know you're, you're typical kind of center back and we were both pushing six foot I would say maybe five eleven and in studs you've, you've got some size on
0: parky you know
1: yeah so he was I mean you know I'm about six foot but he was definitely a few inches shorter than me but he was just three steps in every, ahead of everybody and I yeah. loved watching that and that was so good to see and he was so clean with the ball and you know even though he couldn't get in those tussles he knew how to kind of be cheeky in the way he defended so I always just love watching him and um just kind of just seeing the way he always just managed the game was always really cool for me
0: oh let's talk about um you know we kind of talked about the the youth national team you get you know cut and and then you know kind of your redemption uh played a ton of games with uh with the 20s uh your milk cup champion uh you're you know i think you're the the lost generation and i know uh Mm -hmm. recent guys um, of of the recent letdown in terms of not making the Olympics. Uh, I'm a little torn because I'm a big, I'm kind of a, that I I wouldn't call myself old school, but I'm a big tough love guy in terms of, uh, I think we need more pressure, not less. And, Mm -hmm. you know, not not to say you can't have empathy for guys when, you know, they're at their worst moment. But, um, you know, talk to me as a player that's been through that. Talk to me a little bit about, uh, your emotional time going through it, and and what you see now for for our country, and how we keep failing to make this th- this happen.
1: Yeah. Um, first and foremost, my my the main thing I was I, I thought about in that moment was not that we didn't qualify. It was the feeling that the players were going through, um, because I knew I, I was held it firsthand. I've been through it when we failed to qualify for the 20s, and then I was there when we didn't qualify for the 23s, and this was in consecutive years. My rookie year and then my second year. Um, and to be frank or Zarek, we should qualify. We have more than enough talent. My my team for the 23s was so incredibly talented. You know, I was talking to Joe Corona, Alfredo Morales just signed an NYCFC. You got Bill Amid, Terrence Boyd. You got all these guys, just longtime 10-year pros, you know, so many goals, and and you know, defenders of the ICO Paros and that team, we had so many good players and we failed to qualify. And that is ultimately on us first and foremost as players because talent wise, it's, we should have, we should have done it in 2012. We should have done it in 2016 and we should have done it recently. So we can't, we have to call a spade a spade. And that's kind of the harsh reality, right? But then you have to kind of try to figure out exactly why. And, you know, there's a bunch of different reasons why, um, you know, people, people fail to qualify. And I think some of the, some of the reasonings like blaming refs and stuff like that, I just not good enough. And um, I, I don't, you know, I don't like to use excuses and I, and for me, that's not it. But I think that ultimately players have to look in the mirror because it's, it's not, it's something that has to be fixed. Um, if anybody does have the answer, I'm sure U S soccer would love to have you on line one. Um, but it's it's tough to go through that because my career path, you know, definitely shifted from, you know, being a consistent in youth national teams to suddenly you you have no, big tournaments. Right. And I think that the Olympics is the biggest youth national team tournament in the world. And that's every four years. And we haven't been there since 2009, if I'm not mistaken. So um, it's, it's not good enough. And I don't know exactly what the issue is. I can speak on, you know, the feeling and maybe some things I felt, but, you know, I I can just see um, losing of moments is is the thing that is, you know, the the margins in, in games are so small and you know that especially as a defender, and i think about the goal we gave up in the qualifying game with the 20s was a was a flick on and someone was out of position you know shot goal and i think about you know the, the qualifying game that we played in in nashville and you know a few of these goals just you know people are making plays and and it, these margins are so small and next thing you know you know you're out of, you're out of the olympics and you have to live with that the rest of your your career and and you're always tied to that moment um so if you have any, I'd love to hear your thoughts. I know you're asking yeah, I mean, me questions, but I'd love to hear yours. I, I
0: attack U.S. soccer and and the coaching, and I think that it's just uh, you know, and I'm not you know. People say, oh, it's, you know, you're attacking Christ and and these guys, and I, no, I'm attacking the whole system, you know. And I think that um, I joke around and I say, well, you know, did did the other teams coach? Did they? Did their guy have an A license? You know, did <laughs> is that what it was? Mm-hmm. You know, and um, you know, I got to see with Tata. Um, you know, they said that the U.S. U.S. Federation wouldn't uh, acknowledge his certifications in Argentina, and uh, it was all about the Netherlands and you know the Germans. And for mm-hmm. me, it's just it's just uh, you've got people making decisions, and they're not. There's no pressure, in my opinion. And then the culture falls on them when it matters most. Meaning, it's like you know, people don't. I was more concerned with the Costa Rica game in this recent round. You know, I was like. Yeah. Was like we got lucky to win that game 100% um, and, and it's it's i think people that just watch it casually think like oh we're the US we should beat all these small countries but it's like it's different because those small countries they they get more practice with each other cuz they don't have as large of a pool and they know their identity and they have a chip on their shoulder and they're you know they're they're grown men like mm-hmm. they're they're treated like men um from a young age and and i think we're getting better but I think like the pressure's got to be there across, you know, whether it's coaches and the people that are hiring the coaches, mm-hmm. because if they feel that pressure, then the pressure trick, it goes down. It can't just be like, hey, I'm going to be friends with, you know, I'm going to be friends with these guys and uh, I'm doing this job, even though I don't really, you know, this isn't where I'm supposed to be. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be at a higher level. Um, you know, and, and I look, if I'm on the team, I'm a player, I'm probably doing the same thing. I'm putting my hand up, hey, we didn't get it done. But I do think that, um, we could do a better job at preparing our guys for these tournaments and for these games. So uh, when they're in the hardest moment of their life, it doesn't become the hardest moment of their life. The next round becomes the hardest moment of their life. Yeah,
1: of course. And, and one thing is we have a U20s team, and then we have U23 team and the U23 team only starts practicing. We started in November of 2011. So the end of my first year, and then qualifying was in May. So that's like seven months with like four camps, five camps. And there's still some familiarity, right? There's some familiarity, but a lot of these teams also have U21 teams. So they continue those groups up until the 23s. And maybe that's the thing where they can switch it. But, um, you, know, I, I, you know, as a player, you have to look yeah. internally first. If, if, a, if players start to point fingers – then that's for me immediately a red flag because you have to look how you can do better. No one ever played a perfect game. No one was ever good enough in that, in that sense. And um, you know, I think that, you know, there's definitely, there was, there's a lot of pressure. I think this time around because it was the third, but now this in three years time, my God, three years time, you know, that even it, that's getting even higher, but I think oh, yeah. there would definitely be some systematic changes, but that's it. Again, this is another conversation for the next. Yeah.
0: Week. Yeah. Well, we, we could, you know, I know you- you, you, uh, you're a podcast host yourself. Maybe that's something, uh, when you guys ramp it back up, uh, you and Jeff Antonella, uh, uh, yeah. you, you have me on and I'll, I'll tell you how, uh, how I really feel. This Love is about it. you. This is about you. Um, we're, we're talking about Akron and then we go to the, uh, we, we talk a little U twenties, U 23s, um, talk to me about leaving. You leave college early, you get a generation Adidas contract, which is, uh, you know, that means you're, one of the best soccer players in the country at that point. Um, And then you get selected fourth overall, which is um, quite a feat in my opinion as a guy who was never drafted. Um, But you go to Chivas USA. Tell me what you were thinking. Uh, You know, you kind of joked around about seeing what Santa Barbara was like coming from Lancaster, (laughs) Akron, Ohio, LA. Um, Yeah,
1: (laughs) You're going to LA. Tell me about it. I was, um, First off, just ecstatic, because we had a, a bunch of uh, meetings um, leading up to, you know, you have meetings with teams. A lot, a lot of fans don't understand that. Right before the draft, at least how it was back in our day, you meet with a lot of teams. Some teams that are interested in selecting you, you might talk to them, and they'll say, you know, where do you see yourself playing? What are your habits? Blah, blah, blah. So I had a really good conversation with Robin Frazier, like three or four days up, uh, before the draft. And I talked to Robin and Greg Vanny was there and Carlos Yamosa actually. So I, I mean, three absolute U S soccer legends, MLS legends, um, to, you know, to think in that moment, like I was this naive 19 year old kid sitting in a room with these guys, just having no idea really who they were is pretty bad on my part. But, um, I just remember having a really good conversation with, with Robin about his expectations of me and what he might like and how, um, you know, just how we, what he liked about me as a player. And then to get drafted there was super exciting. Two of my previous college teammates were just drafted there, Ben Zemanski and player Gavin. So I had that familiarity, and then – The, the, the Bowtie Club. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> so, so to be drafted to where I had some familiarity was fantastic, and then Los Angeles was was incredible. And it's funny because Chivas has this incredible reputation where it's like, it was like super lame for a while but now it's this kind of like club that you know you don't you know if you know you know and um you know to be a part of that and to be one of the few standing chivas USAers left in the league is is pretty cool it's like fraternity of guys that was part of this like dumpster fire <laughs> but um no I, I look back with fond memories I learned so much my goodness I learned so much the amount of great players I play with my first roommate was Jimmy Conrad and I was just like sweating when I was going to meet this guy lo and behold Jimmy's the biggest football in the world but um I learned so much and was so excited to be a part of that and look back with really fond memories again like I said of this club that not many people know about
0: and what, and Zach was there right Thornton? Zach
1: Zach Thornton was there
0: Dan Kennedy was there Ante Yazic was I'm, there I'm just curious uh, I remember the first time I saw Zach, and pre- I was in preseason with DC, and he came walking with his groceries, and I was like, "That's the biggest human being I've ever seen!" Like, oh, incredible. I but mean, the
1: funny thing was, he could move. He was. <laughs> this was the last year of his career, but he was like a, a, a just a daunting figure. You know, one of the greatest U.S. goalkeepers ever, and you know he could still get the ball in the top corners, which was incredible. And, um, but you know, to have Incredible veterans, you know, even just guys like uh, Alejandro Moreno, who, um, you know, incredible Venezuelan international, the experience he had, MLS Cups. Michael Lumania played in multiple World Cups. Was, one, know,
0: he, was, was Juan Pablo there?
1: Juan Pablo came later. Juan Pablo gave me, gave me the most real conversation I had as a, as a rookie, and it was we, – we had this film meeting, and it was just about holding people accountable. And he looked around, and he goes, we don't have to be friends. We work together. This is our job. And he goes, "You don't have to like the guy that plays next to you. You know that we, we have a job to do, and you have to make each other better. We have to push each other. You know, we're not buddy buddy. This isn't college anymore." And I was just like sitting there, like looking around, like, aren't we supposed to be friends? Like in Akron, everything there's rainbows and butterflies, and this guy's yelling that we don't have to be friends." And um, I, I you know, to this day, I understand what he's saying is like, you know, you know, you can, you know, on the field when you step between those lines, like you, you have, you have a job. Or else someone's going to come take your job. But as this young, you know, you know, bubbly rookie, I was sitting there just like, oh my goodness, this is so real. Um, but just, uh, I had, I was very fortunate, and look back with Chivas with some some really fond memories.
0: Well, you, you kind of referred to it as a dumpster fire, and I think some people will think that's a bit dramatic. But tell us a little bit about um, how you ended up in Montreal and kind of verify uh, <laughs> what what kind of operations they were running in in um, LA.
1: So basically. You, every expansion draft, if, if you have a contract, the team will then say, I want Bobby because he's on $1.3 million. I and wish. then if you're, av- if you're available, the team then assumes your contract, right? Just because it's single entity. So that's how people can get traded so easily. So I had a contract and my number was, let's just say, $100,000 to make it even. Um, some reason, the Chivas upper management, thought my number was substantially higher than it actually was. So, they decided that no they decided Montreal's not going to pick you up because why would they pay x amount of dollars for, you know, a first year guy. So, I got the call and they were like, "Hey, we're not going to protect you." I was like, "Hey, whatever, like I don't even know what this means. I'm in Akron, you know, just you know, visiting. No problem." And then I remember I got a call from my agent. He was like, this, this might turn into something. And I was like, what do you mean? He goes, I don't think this is the way that it was intended to be from their standpoint. Lo and behold, my number was like three times less than what they actually thought it was. (laughs) So it was just this like upper management, like just like blunder, right? It was an own goal. (laughs) Yes, pretty much. And then, my agent at the time, Rich, Richard Motskin, basically called me in hindsight. You know, we've had this conversation a few times. And he basically said, I knew right when this list came out that they made, that they made a mistake. And if you wanted to, Montreal was going to take you. Because I was a 19-year-old rookie, youth national team experience that played 27 games or something like that. And my number was like barely six figures. So he knew that I was going to go. And then I remember Robin called me uh on the plane to a scouting trip he's like you know uh we want to wish you well i guess there was some sort of mistake um you know thank you for your professionalism you know i didn't expect you know didn't see this going this way so like basically the upper management that was there at the time made some massive gaffe in terms of that and then that's how i ended up in montreal and i met my wife there so everything happens for a reason
0: well, uh, you know, I, we'll get to Montreal. I, I, I laugh. We talked a little bit before about you, when you're there. So You played with uh, two of the guys that have been my roommates on the road. Uh, really? And Davey Arno, And then, uh, you know, Brian Ching was my roommate for yep. a while as well. Uh, I was actually with Ching when Jesse Marsh called him. And I'm assuming Jesse called you and did the yes. same thing. Yes. Um, and said, hey, we just want guys that want to be taken. And Brian said, well, I'll save you a pick. I don't want to be taken. Don't take me. And Brian, you know, Brian, he was still mad about the World Cup and being left yeah. off that roster. And Jesse was – he considered part of that, that Bob Bradley group. Mm-hmm. So it was pretty funny because Jesse was like, oh, we only want guys that want to be here. And Brian was like, I don't want to be there. <laughs> and, then and then they, they picked, picked him.
1: him. <laughs> yeah. That's the best part. Because they picked him because I was number two. They said, we know we have this guy, We're, you know, national Team experience. We're going to take Brian Chang. And then it was me and i was like holy crap i'm in like the, you know with with like with and um again kudos to him though that me- that situation was messy and it was like him like basically flat out saying i don't want to be here but what people don't know is he was a good professional behind the scenes trained well ran the fitness didn't complain wasn't moaning was a, was a good dude behind the scenes and i think that that situation kind of not that people look back and not that he's remembered by that, but I, just for the record, he continually held himself to a good standard, even though he was in this like fighting match with Houston, Dom's yeah. like, well, we're going to get him back. And then, of course, when we played you guys in Montreal, of course, he got booed out the stadium yeah. and stuff. But like, um, yeah, Davey, Davey's all time, too, is our captain. But just for the record, Brian handled himself really well, even though publicly it was a piss match. Well,
0: and for those that don't know, my favorite part of that story was we were in LA both both teams for a preseason and uh, yep. he got traded he and he we'd been out the night before and he was like he was like, "Oh, I'm really I'm really liking the city and I'm liking what's going on." And then the next day we go to the field, he's in Montreal gear. We we do the trade and he comes and he sits on our bench during the preseason yeah, game. It was incredible. So it was like, Dude, this, these are the stories yeah, yeah. you're trained in the middle of a preseason game and just is like, oh, I guess I'll just go home with Houston now in their van. And it's like, what? It's incredible. Like, These are, this is only in MLS.
1: These types of stories happen. Well,
0: right? This is only MLS. And this is, I consider this, uh, you are, you know, they, I, they have MLS 1.0, which I say is before me. Then there's MLS 2.0, which is, is me. And you got, you're kind of coming into it. And this story that I'm about to tell, I want you to tell, is the Nesta on the airplane story going to Italy. Oh, um, that's, in my opinion, like one of the most, like weirdest, like you want to take, you say MLS wants to be taken seriously. This story is like why it wasn't taken seriously on some level. Um, and then, you know, and then now you, you end up coming back when you go overseas to MLS 3.0. But tell me a little bit, just tell people what happened he just, uh, when the all time great Italian guy is on a flight to go to preseason in Italy.
1: Yeah, no, it's he's, to, to be fair, all, everybody that we had recruited were, were just such normal guys to the point where when bags are coming off in the airport, they're helping. And then they're ragging on people like, we're a team. And that was always just this, this team mentality. But I remember we got, we were flying, it, it, we were flying to Italy and somehow Nesta got a middle seat. And somehow, like i don 't even first off, but our team coordinator deserve you deserve to be fired, just just even like looking at it, right when you see like a b or when you see like an I mean, a e a b or an e in like two rows immediately, he yeah. should have just been like ripped it up, no, trust me, like you need to get this guy like even first class you can put him out of the coaches um, but just the fact that the, the, the humility, and I remember thinking. Like this guy has no business even being this far back in the plane. But he was like, no, no problem. It's all good. And I'm just looking around like these Italian people are like, like sneaking pictures on their, like their blackberries. Like, oh my goodness. Like I'm flying next to this guy. And he's like, you know, chatting it up with people. But just the, the humility of some of these guys is, is, is humbling in a sense, right? He has every reason to be, you know, the, the, you know, most stuck up, whatever guy, look at me, look at this. And he just wasn't. And um, again, those types of, um, you know, personalities, you know, led to kind of just try to, you know, the way I am and, you know, to have a team with, uh, you know, when Brian showed his professionalism, Davy Carnot was our captain, guys like Patrice and Alessandro Nesta come, you know, you have these, these guys who are just, you know, have the the pedigree and stuff, but are just normal guys that go out there. Davy's making fun of me because I'm wearing pants to, you know, to play in, you know, you can't play in pants. And he does the veteran tuck where he, plays in pants but he tapes the ankles so that his so that with with like white tape over the ankles that he can pass the ball properly and it's not flapping like you know those are the things that you you don't see nowadays but um you know to have those examples and the the humility these guys showed is something that you know will always always stick with me
0: yep well um I I I love some of those stories and the Nesta one I I always imagine people thinking it's a like a look-alike. Oh, this guy. I'm sitting next to this guy. He looks just like Nesta, you know. And it's like, no,
1: that's really him. No, people. I'm telling you. Eventually, people started like realizing. You could see the chatter, and then of course, he's, you know, too. He's too kind not to like in, indulge in conversation. But like, I mean, he has 100 plus caps for the Italian national team. for no, he's 520
0: he, on it. He's arguably one of the best center backs or players of defenders of all time. You know? Yeah. It's just. Oh. It's, it's hilarious. Oh, yeah, I
1: remember. I remember we, the, the one other story was uh, we, we, he pulled out his license, but I guess in Italy you get like one picture and like, that's it. Like your license is pretty much valid. So he had this like picture when he was like 18 years old and he had highlights and stuff. And I remember looking at him like, Oh my goodness. Like, uh, or he was no, sorry. He was 19 years old in the photo. He had red highlights and I was making fun of him in front of the group. Like, Oh my goodness. Like, who do you think you are? And he goes, what do you mean? He goes, at 19, he goes, I was the captain of Lazio and we had won the Copa Italia. And he goes, I had 30 caps for the national team. And he goes, You're, wait, you're 19, right? And I was just like, I uh, should have said he did. All right. And everyone just starts dying laughing. But of course he laughs and stuff. But like, he just, just you know, the banjo that they had. And, you know, they, they, they he, I mean, I mean, his resume is dumb. Yes. <laughs> it's just
0: ridiculous. Yeah. yeah.
1: But he's, he was all time. And another, the best part about him was we played at this, awful college indoor stadium. He trained in running shoes because his knees were so bad. But he could still like ping the ball across the field. He's playing these Mizuno running shoes, like legit. And as you know, it's not easy to like strike a ball, but he made it look so easy. And I was just sitting there going, this guy's playing in running shoes and he's still like dunking on people. It's incredible.
0: No, he was he was like quite a player, man. It's it's great that you got that experience. Uh talk to me a little bit about um going to the Arctic Circle. Um, oh. you know if you, I don't want to go too far away from MLS, but yeah, no um, it's, a, it's a pretty important thing uh, in your journey.
1: Yeah, so I was um, I was loaned out um, pretty unknowingly. I, I knew I wasn't in the team, kind of, because we, we we switched coaches from after Jesse Marsh, um, who I really enjoyed playing with, and um, you know he was let go. He brought in a European coach, and he was pretty straightforward, which I respected. But it's also kind of tough when the coach is like, "Listen, you're not my plans." And you're like, well, thanks for telling me, but i am also I got to figure something out now. And out of the blue, I got a coach, uh, call from a coach uh, in Norway, like above the Arctic Circle, super high up, uh, who was the assistant uh, for Hans Baca. And he scouted me out of college and basically said, listen, we need to write back. Um, what are the odds that you're willing to come? And I was like, well, just just so happens I'm looking for a team. Um, and I got, that call on a, I got that call on a Wednesday, and I was on a flight to Norway. On, on the Monday, but Norway doesn't allow one-way tickets in. So we had to book a, a, a refundable round-trip ticket and then cancel it to basically allow myself to stay there. <laughs> I'm sure the government's not gonna be too happy about that. But um, basically like to, to basically get in and then you, they're like, well, figure your paperwork out. Trust me, like this is how we do it. And I was like, all right, whatever. Um, and it ended up, that was an incredible experience. I, I um, to be fair, they were in the first division. Um, but that's like saying uh, the second division. So I remember thinking, oh, first division's going to be great. And I looked it up and I was like, something's not right here. And I get there and it's, we're actually in the second division. I was like, how do I not know this? <laughs> and then it turns out, thankfully, I rolled into a team that was incredible. We got promoted and, uh, you know, one of the highest point totals for a team ever. So I was like, thankfully, it was a good situation. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, to, to be a part of a team that gets promoted is a really cool experience because the city is, like, pumped to be back in the first division. Um, and, I, and I just learned a lot about myself. You know, it's one of these situations, kind of sink or swim, where you're going to a, a foreign country. You don't speak the language. They, you know, when the team is 75% Norwegian, um, you learn a lot. The league is very different from MLS. And um, it's just been great. It was, it was an incredible experience for myself, and my wife, the time to, to go out there and experience it. And uh, the team won the league last year, which is incredible. So good for them. They play in Champions League this year. So it'll be really cool to watch them.
0: And did you end up
1: learning Norwegian or no? I did. I was giving uh, interviews at, by the end of my third year there, uh, fully in Norwegian. And so how, how many languages do you speak? Two and a half. Um, I speak Spanish and English fluently, but the Norwegian I've kind of lost because it's very different unless it's, you, you speak it to somebody or – uh, you know, I hear Swedish because we have a, our Swedish left back. I talked to Adam a little bit, but you kind of lose it because it's not spoken ever. But um Norwegian's great. Um, the You know, the people are incredibly nice, amazing. Um, I just ha- I look back with such amazing memories and I'm happy and I'm lucky that that
0: fell into my lap. Well, and this one, I I don't, this one might go over your head. I'm not sure. What's the toothbrush thing with this team? Yeah, it's so funny. Um, I actually, I
1: I had to ask that. That was like when I first was like, why is this a thing? So in the supporter section, there's this like seven foot toothbrush. And, and I guess back in the day, they basically said like, oh, we're so good. We're going to brush the opponents off the field. And someone thought it'd be a good idea to bring this toothbrush. And there's this like incredibly massive toothbrush now Is it every game. So that's basically what it is. So when people see it, you see this one fan like, (laughs) and of course they won the league by like 15, 20 points last year, but Rosenberg and Molten is incredible. And they're like sweeping it. There's like 15 people in the stands. And to the point where even the New York times wrote an article about them because they're, above the Arctic circle and there's probably like 200 people at these games, but they were like running through the league. Went, eventually played AC Milan in the, you know, Europa League knockouts and stuff like the last one for the group stages. And it was just like this small Norwegian team that, you know, sweeps their opponents off the field, I guess. Not so much when I was there.
0: <laughs> well, no, it sounds like it. It sounds like it. Well, talk to me about um, getting reunited with Caleb and coming back to, uh, to MLS.
1: Yeah, that was, um that was fun. I, um, I had sent a text to one of the assistant coaches at the time when I was kind of thinking about coming back and, um, nothing more than a sounds good. Got it. And then lo and behold, six months later, I was in uh, Saskatchewan with my wife and agent called and said, what about Portland? I said, I'd love it. Uh, so Caleb brought me back in and, you know, got the band back together a bit back there with Ben Zemanski reunited from my Chivas days and Darlington was there. Uh, Darren Maddox eventually showed up. So it was a lot of familiar faces and, um, I was really excited and, and happy to have that um, experience. You know, Portland ended up Portland's ended up being home for my wife and I, and my my little guy and my pups. So it was an, something that I didn't expect. And again, I've been very fortunate to have such um, incredible opportunities kind of fall into my lap again.
0: And uh, just I'm gonna start off kind of as a, a joke and then we'll get more serious but so you went from the toothbrushes to timber joey i just want to point out that you've had the weirdest and like funniest mascots <laughs> in your career <laughs> uh, well you had the goat in chivas and one of the goats <laughs> the, the zips uh i mean just there's just so much uh there's so much weirdness from the the streak thing at the beginning but uh talk to me a little bit about you know you had a lot of success i want to kind of focus on you had some success on the field. Um, you know, with, with the, the Timbers, you know, you got to the finals in one, in one year playing Atlanta. Uh, but talk to, you know, I also want to talk a little bit about your off the field success, but tell, tell me what make those teams uh, so special, really the, the engines that, that are still there and still making that team successful.
1: Yeah. Um, again, I was very fortunate. I've, I've been very fortunate to play with some really good players and around good players that make me look good. Um, you know, and I, it's funny. Cause I look back at, um, we're, at least in Houston we're surrounded by the stars and you were a part of that right so I look back at some of the players that you were lucky enough to play with when you have Brad Davis, Dayro, you know you can keep going you got Ching you know the, the the list goes off Stu you know you have all these incredible players and and to, to be a defender on that group you almost know that if you can keep the ball out of the net like something's going to happen um, so you know being in Portland when you know we're back there, and, and to have you know someone with MLS experience like Nat Porcher's next to me, who played in the league for hundreds of years, and then uh, you know to, you know to be able to look up and say, well, I could pass to Diego Chara. Nah, he's you know he has someone on him. Uh, well, Darlington has someone. Uh, okay, I'll give it to I'll give it to Valeri, I guess. Um, you know to have those types of options uh, as a defender is fantastic, and as someone who is you know a little bit younger in their career, trying to get used to the, the, the pace and the the flow of MLS games is still. Um, was really relieving, I would say, um, and to and to have people, you know, that I connected with off the field. You know, I knew Jonathan very personally. I knew his wife and his kids. So to have that comfort level was fantastic. And my wife just graduated nursing school, so to have her there was amazing. And um, I would say that I don't think – I think Diego Chara is one of the most underrated players in MLS that I've ever played with. Um, and I'm not saying that just because he's a he's a personal friend. I think, you know, one all-star – game in 10 plus years in the league is, 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 in, is wildly, you know, just one of the awful statistics. Um, and even the game he played, he like literally was like one V four in the midfield against, I forget who they played. I think it was some Juventus or something like that. Um, but just to, to have those guys and I, uh, and Valeri, you know, that was kind of the backbone of that team. And, um, and then we had, a, you know, a rotating group of forwards that scored a lot and, you know, Jeff, the goal that was, you know had one of his career years I think that team in 2018 was special for a lot of different ways because we we entered into the playoffs not as like a one seed if I'm not mistaken a lot of times when you guys made the finals you weren't like a number one seed you kind of had to battle your way there fight with Casey the, the
0: years where we were one seeds we didn't know I never did well but the years where we where we kind of got some momentum and we just forgot how to lose going in. Those were the exactly. years we, made, we made it to the finals. So and that
1: was kind of like us where we that, that year we ended up having to play a play in game against Dallas away, beat Dallas away. And then immediately we're in a Seattle dogfight, which they show on Fox Sports One those home and away game, that crazy one and with the car show and the Spria score and Blanco. That was wild. And then you have KC. So we had to play all these games as like a six seed, I think we were. But as you talk about the momentum that kind of leads into it um, is almost for me in a way better than like someone who just wins out the whole year. Cause it's not how you start. It's how you finish. And when you guys did well, you kind of get rolling a little bit and that, that feeling in almost the, the quick succession of games is almost an advantage if you know what I'm saying.
0: Oh yeah. No, they, there's a reason they changed the rules. Um, uh, yeah. they, they, they don't want, they don't want the, the lower seeds just getting on a roll and, and, and rolling all the way through. So, um, you know, I'm interested. You, you, you talked about Diego. Uh, I'm a big, big, big fan of uh, number sixes. Um, you know, I think they make teams work. And a team that has a good holding midfielder, um, it'll be a team that's competitive. And I've always said that. I think he's uh he's he's really a, a special one in that he, he lays the hammer when he needs to. But he does, and he just really does the work, right? And he knows his role. Um, you talk about how you love him and y'all are friends. Tell me, you have a scar from him, though, right? Are you- I do. You,
1: you really did your
0: homework. Yeah, on my,
1: on my calf uh, in Montreal, we were up 2-0 against the Timbers his first year, second year, and I get a ball on the end line, and I just 90th whatever minute, extra, and I clip it down the line, he comes to and whacks me. And I remember all the guys on the bench, like, get up, get up, you're faking. I was out for a month because he tore a muscle in my calf. And I remember the first day I saw him, I said, I've heard good things about you now, but you realize you crushed me. And of course, he shook my hand and say, Nice to meet you. I'm Diego. I'm sorry. And he gave me that smile. And I was like, oh, okay. You're, you're forgiven. Um, but yeah, he just, he, Diego is a, kind of the silent assassin. He's not really outspoken, but he'll give you a look in a game and he'll, you know, give you like a, hey, let's go. And, you know he leads by example and is there in training and he's there every single game and does all the dirty work every you know pays thousands of dollars in fines every year because of yellow cards and all these different things. Everyone, everyone around the league cannot stand him, but he's someone that you would take immediately. And for me, that is oh, one yeah. of the that's one of the few that's one of the characteristics, especially the number six. I think at Beckerman that was like that. People would be like, do you want to play against him? No. Would you take him? Thousand percent. Give him I'll, any day. And that, for me, is one of the biggest compliments you can give to a player, someone that has that, that switch, right? Um, and just to also just to connect with them on a personal level, you know, as a dad, as a new dad and talking to him um, was really cool and exciting. And, um, you know, I got to become really good friends with both Diegos. Uh, and, I, you know, Valeri, his, his daughter was the flower girl at my wedding. Um, so just to, to have these guys as good lifelong friends, but also just kind of as mentors in terms of professionalism and, and the longevity in their careers is something I, you know, fire to be and they you know they both played 90 yesterday in the yeah. 90 degree heat in in, in honduras and wow, they banged in a free kick and char is there cleaning up the mess and doing what he has to do and you know kudos to them because they take care of their bodies they invest so much money in, in making sure that they're ready to go and they i mean dude 35 to be doing that for.
0: so uh talk to me a little bit about another expansion draft and, and and ended up here in the uh the beautiful city that is houston Texas.
1: It's funny because um, I, I didn't expect it, completely blindsided. I had no, I, no idea that I was going to end up here. Um, and it was definitely a shock that my family and I were, um, like I said, not expecting and was difficult to, to take because we just bought a house. We just had a kid. Um, but once I spoke to Tab and once I spoke to Matt and once I, I got here, I, I started to really enjoy the, the project that was being built and to learn a little bit about the rebranding early last year. And everything that's going into it is exciting. And um, Houston is very cool. And I think that it gets a tough rep around MLS. Why? Because of people like you, Bobby. And you're going to say, why? Because I know, I know why. <laughs> the, the, end of the, the, the way that most people view Houston is we're going to travel there on a four day road trip. We're going to get in on a Thursday night, it's 90 degrees. We're going to train the next day, but we have to train after the first team. So we're going to train at two or three o'clock in the afternoon, and it's 115 degrees outside. You're out there for an hour sweating. You're already exhausted for the game that's in the next day. You play the game the next day. If you get a tie, it's a good result. You usually you end up losing two or three, one, three, zero, four, zero, right? And then you're out the next day. You do that two or three times with the Timbers or Montreal or Chivas, you're not going to have a fun view of Houston. You're going to say, why am I going to go there? I lose every time I go there. It's extremely hot, and I don't get to really see the city because I just—it's the city downtown isn't exactly like New York City, right? Right. But then suddenly you come live here, and you're like, oh my goodness, there's so many cool neighborhoods, the culture, the diversity. These things are amazing, and that's something I didn't know upon getting here. And then this is all off the field. Obviously, on the field, it was great to see Tab, be reunited with him, and you know, Matt was my GM in Montreal. But so, you know, for my wife and I, to get to kind of know the city it's, it's, it's so different than a lot of different places and it's exciting. And that's what's starting to sell itself as you see it, you know, becoming slowly a place where players are going and, and, you know, they want to get back to those, those days in which, um, you know, Western conference finals and and Western conference semifinals were, were expected. And that was the minimum standard, if not MLS cup.
0: Yeah, no, I, I mean, people, I have a brother in Dallas, and he refuses to come to Houston. Like people just, like you said, it gets a bad rap for whatever reason. And uh, but it's my home; I love it. And, you know, I'm from Florida, and and it's pretty similar. We get hurricanes and lightning, um, of and course. And, I, and I just love the sun. So it's sunny most of the time, and I get to be outside and do that. So, um, but I would
1: say one thing that's um, not not to cut you off, but I would say one thing that's um, is different than than especially in Portland is. Portland was, you know, we did well, 2015, they won. And then I came in in 2016, 2018, they did well. And you're trying to, I would say, sustain that success, I would say in a certain way. But there are certain clubs that had success and then kind of, you know, the culture and coaching changes and everything swaps. And then there's the desire to get back to that because success is contagious. You want that, right? When you get a taste of it, when you get to lift a trophy, it's the best feeling. And then when you can't do it for, a year or two, it's like that it starts to eat at you and you want that. So, you know, to, to see all the trophies, to walk in every single day and see all the damn trophies you won with your teams up on, you know, all around the facility, that's, that's motivation. And a lot of teams don't necessarily have that. And I think Houston here, we're lucky to have that history. And it's exciting because you know we're working to get back there and it's going to be a lot of work. We're not happy with the way last year ended. No one is. And if you're happy being the team that ended up in last place, hopefully you're not on the damn team. Um, so that, that's exciting. And that's something that I, you know, um, we, we, we are hit with a lot of the, the days in which you were here, but it's exciting to, to, to be on a team that's working towards
0: Yeah. I mean, I say that Houston fans are spoiled with just how the, the, you know, they, they got a a supporter shield winning team, like that from San Jose that came in and won instantly. Right. And, uh, Mm -hmm. and we're very good. We missed the playoffs once and the whole time I was here. And the fans were like, so, you know, we had a ton of injuries. And it was like, oh, Dom, Dom's a one-trick pony. Um, those guys are leaving. And he was able to rebuild, you know, guys like Kofi, mm-hmm. uh, Will Bruin. You know, he, he restocked and retooled. And uh, we got close, you know, to doing it again. But it was competitive. Um, and I think that you guys, now you have this older generation that's like, Oh, it's not like the uh, it's not like the old days, but it's like the league's not like the old days. It's a whole different league. Like, what team can you have Stuart Holden coming off the bench? Jeff Cameron coming off the bench? Yeah. Um, you know the teams aren't—they're just built differently now. Um, they're a lot more foreign, um, and I think the league's a lot better. And you're seeing that with these uh, these CCL results, especially the early ones. It's like, you know, people say, Oh, the US can't qualify for something, but it's like this isn't the US playing as MLS, man. It's it's a yeah. diverse group of people and these guys know how to go and win games on the road and they and so I, I think Houston's uh listen, I'm I'm a Houston fan. I'm wearing my new Houston shirt. You buddy um, Yeah, you know, I support you guys, I show up, I'm 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 always watching, but um, you know, and I think the fans are great. I think that the majority of them are, but there is some pressure, you know, you guys put it on yourselves and you know, the, the front office hears it from the fans that are like, oh, we want to be winners again. Um, but that's
1: good. I always say, I like, agree. for me, I say that's good. You have I fans agree. You have fans that give a shit. Sorry, pardon, but I, I yeah. want that. If you have fans that are just like, you know, let's just go and have a good time and, like, you know, treat it like a baseball game. It's like, let's have a few beers and see what happens. Like, yeah. I don't want those fans. I want fans that want success and that are pushing the players. Obviously – you know, they can say whatever they want. As a player, you have to filter out some of the noise, but you want, you want fans that care and that push the owners and push the players that want that success because then, you know, they're going to be there even more so, right? They like, you know, high highs and low lows, but I'm okay with that. I always say I'd rather have that in Portland was like that than at Chivas. I, you know, the pressure that I, I did not feel pressure from the fans. There was no like, we need to win now. We need to do this like, no, but you know, you don't need to have 17,000 people tweeting at you when you, you know, miss a clearance, but I, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, yeah, I enjoy right. the fact that the fans are, are in it and, and care. I like that.
0: No, I agree. And, I, I, like, I think there is pressure there, and I know there's pressure internally to um, to get it done. And, and you know, I, I, like, I got offended when I saw the, the betting odds. Houston was the only unique uh, one out, and I was like, you guys think – Chicago and DC and some of these other teams have you know, better odds than winning it than than the Houston Dynamo, but it's like, you know, whatever. Like, motivation,
1: baby. I'm just say
0: Take that, use it, surprise everybody. Um, let's let's get past that. I want to talk about. I talk about your off the field stuff. I think um, you know around the league. You, know, you brought up Matt Jordan. I talked to Matt Jordan the other day, and, and we were talking about you, and he said if I could get. 11 Zerix on, you know, on my, on the team, like it would be the best thing ever. Just, you know, not only on the field, but off the field. Uh, you were a two-time community MVP in Portland. Um, you know, you're an athlete ally ambassador. You've worked with, I mean, I could go on Habitat Community, Children's Hospital, Special Olympics, reading programs. Um, you know, I want to talk a little bit about the Ribbon Z, but, um, or is it Ribbons? I don't no, know. No, Ribbon is right, yeah. Ribbon I was like, Z? oh okay. my goodness, I, you're even saying everything right. I I butcher some things sometimes, but that wasn't one of them. Talk to me a little bit about, um, you know, how you became so ingrained uh, in off the field stuff. And I I can't speak for the stuff in Montreal or Chivas. I think you were pretty young, but you definitely became a staple in community uh, activities in Portland and, and you're carrying that on here. Uh, Talk to me a little bit what that means to you and, and, you know, what you see your role as.
1: Well, well, thank you. First and foremost, I just, um, I believe as athletes, we have a platform, right? There's people that follow me on Twitter, the people that follow you on Twitter, and we can tweet about some funny stuff and have and have a laugh. But ultimately, I think that we owe it to ourselves and our community to try to make the world a better place. And, you know, to 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 be fortunate enough to land in a place like Portland that has such an incredible soccer community uh, around it and now being in Houston to try to, um, embrace the, the the community that it is and you know speaking speaking on Houston with Harvey there was this Houston strong and I saw that and I was part of you know some donation things that have gone on there and to see that from afar is one thing but to to go through the the pandemic last year in Houston and then to pretty much on a whim talk to my wife as we were buying stuff for Thanksgiving and to try to get a um you know, like a Thanksgiving pot going that we are going to donate to the food bank because we saw these lines in Houston, like at the energy stadium where there's thousands of people that just needed food. And to think that you're going to wait in a food line for six hours, if you don't need it, that, you know what I mean? Like you need that food. And that just like, you know, you know, to feel the the kind of the privilege and the, and the, and the just the, you know, how fortunate we were, um, you know, I, I, you know, we tried to create this fund and you know incredibly enough with with MLS support and, and with that Houston strong attitude we were able to raise $18,000 for the Houston Food Bank and um, to to get back in that sense and uh in Portland to do a lot of stuff kind of just again on the whim uh with you know with some stuff in the LGBTQ plus community um is something that I feel that we need to try to continually do around the country and just um in general just to give back to our communities and each community is different and I'm finding out that Houston's needs are different than Portland's needs, and that would be different than Montreal and Los Angeles. So it's been exciting. And my mom was a, a, huge volunteer back in the day. She would, you know, one night a week she'd be at the women's shelter, sleeping and trying to help them. And, you know, my wife has the same attitude, and she always encourages me and comes to me with different opportunities. And, um, you know, I just feel fortunate to have such a good support source in Bow, who's been the community outreach person in Houston and Crystal was with me in Portland um, to have such incredible people around me that, you know, support me and kind of lift me up on whatever random on the whim ventures I want to get into.
0: Well, no, that's awesome. Um, you know, and I, for those that don't know, we also had a, I think people are shocked to hear about like, you guys got a couple inches of snow and it crippled you. And it's like, yeah, yeah, we, we were crippled as a, as a, as a city. Uh, you, you also, uh, you know, had some good work done with that one as well. Uh, and that was with the food bank too, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, that was, th- that one was another one where it was, I got a text from Christian Miraz just once our power went back on for the second time after it was off for two days, kind of just saying like, Hey man, um, let's, what are you thinking? Let's do something. And I was, um, then kind of just, uh, we got on a group, ch- group thread with Val and, um, basically just started trying to raise, raise money for, um, it was um, for the Houston Food Bank and for Kids Meals. And Kids Meals basically is, is, a, is a foundation that provides uh, food for kids with their parents live under the poverty line. So it just kind of gives them meals, another form of that. And their entire stock was wiped out because of the literally inch and a half, two inches of snow. So because of the power grid that went out, they lost all their food. And thankfully, with the help of the Dash and the platform that we had, we were able to raise $30,000 for the 15 to the Houston food bank and 15 to kids meals and replenish their entire stock that was lost. Um, so, you know, these kids that come from families that, you know, are working two or three jobs just to keep the lights on, uh, didn't have to worry about food. And again, it's one of these things where, um, dude, the Houston community is incredible, man. I, I didn't realize how much giving back that, that comes from that. And that's so amazing because with, um, know potentially a little bit of direction or you know innovation or ideas we could you know help those who need and that's ultimately what what matters most right we you know I, i always say we kick a ball and um you know we bring people joy with that right but um if we can give back to the community that's that's first and foremost the most important thing and um you know i was fortunate enough to be a part of some cool projects in portland and you know trying to continue that here and um working with val and my wife and some of my teammates and some of the dash players that always help promote because the, 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 the dash following is incredible. It's amazing. And women's soccer is amazing. The following and the support they have is uh, incredible. And, and to kind of join forces and to really link that FC that you have on your shirt is something that's you know, important to myself and the club.
0: Well, that's awesome. Um, you know, uh, I know I said, do you want to talk about Ribbon Z? Or, or you, are you yeah. kind of covered it a little bit.
1: So, so that's, that was the way it kind of initially started. I had this one drunken fan, Russell, Follow me after these games. I live near the stadium in Portland. And after about three times running into him after a game, he kind of came up to me once and uh, bought me a beer and was like, hey, uh, you, you know, I bet you won't wear a ribbon like my favorite player, Haley Rasso on the Thorns. And I was with one of the Thorns uh, after their game because they had suffered a tough defeat. And she was like, and we were buddies. And she, and uh, Megan Klingenberg actually played for the dash. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. she was and she was like, hey, let's just grab a beer because I need to just decompress. And she, know, you have the old soccer talk. and We're both outside backs. and We're complaining about the same thing. Um, so this time, Russell had backup. So the follow- I said, "Oh, don't worry, I'll put up the next day. So the following day, I remember I put out a tweet and said, if I get 10,000 retweets, I put this out before training, I'll wear a bow in my hair. I come back after training and we're at 6,000. And I was like, holy shit, <laughs> like, this is going to be real. Less than 24 hours later, we had 10,000 retweets. Like It just blew up. And I remember – Merritt Paulson came up to me. and He goes, you are not wearing this damn ribbon in your hair when we play Zlatan. I said, Merritt, don't even worry. Like, I'll do it against Casey. <laughs> um, but basically, and then I eventually went home and I was like, honey, I'm going to make a fool of myself. And she's like, well, listen, you, this is an incredible thing that happened. These people are coming together over a tweet to watch you make a fool of yourself. Maybe we can turn this into something. And I was like, hmm, you're right. So we called up the Timbers Army and you know, what if we like, what if we just sell ribbons? Like it's, you know, um, it's pride month. So let's just get rainbow ribbon and we'll just sell them. We'll see what happens when we ended up selling $8,000 worth of ribbons. So everyone had their own personalized small ribbon. We hand tied every single one, us and 10 other people. And we sold $8,000 and it was incredible, you know, to to develop that kind of people they'd sell for games and people would like come in early and they'd be gone. And people were trying to ask me to, you know, save some. And I'm like, listen, like we, we, the, all of Michael's and in like the Portland area are completely sold out of all the ribbon. Cause we used it all. Um, and then the following year, basically it was pride month again. And um, as an ally, we we're like, how can we double this? And Portland has a huge patch, community, you know, like uh, kind of like trading patches. Yep, yep. And we thought, well, let's sell some patches. So we had five or four individual female designers design each patch. And we, we, sold them at games and ended up selling over $35,000 worth of patches that we donated to two LGBTQ+ charities in the Portland area that you know deal with homeless uh, homeless youth and 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 it was one of these things where just to see the incredible support you know getting orders from people around the world you know the Timbers army people around the world MLS people around you know the country um, was incredible and then to kind of be a part of it in Houston I, I realized that the the MLS community is strong, dude. When it comes to, like, protecting each other and to, like, be united as one, like, the the, the clubs come together. Yes, on the field, it's here. And that's how it should be. But when things matter and, um, you know, there's some tragedies or, you know, things go on in certain places, um, you know, each club and each, you know, the independent supporters group have, have each other's backs for the things that matter. And that's something that really struck me. And um, I've been really fortunate to have a lot of great people around me that make it, um that helped boost you know kind of these thoughts and stuff so by no means is it just me and my wife um but i just i've been really lucky to have a lot of good people around me right if you have a good center back partner and a good goalie behind you a good holding mid it makes yeah, you job pretty yeah. easy
0: no you're preaching to the choir on that one well listen uh i think what you're doing off the field is awesome as as you mentioned um zarek is on instagram he's on uh, Twitter he's using his platform for good he posts a lot of great pictures of his family um, but I, I encourage those listening to to follow him and uh, you'll you'll be able to stay uh, stay with everything that he does and what he's got going on um, I want to wish you luck uh, I kind of have some there you go there's a yeah there's can't see there's a, is is a Frenchie? <laughs> yeah a little Frenchy there. there you go my two are barking downstairs yeah. um but, uh, but, no, I just want to wish you good luck uh, in the upcoming season. I want to thank you so much. Great player on the field, uh, even better player off the field in terms of what you got going on. And uh, we're honored to have you on the podcast today. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much for taking the time. I really enjoyed it. Hopefully we can catch up in person one of the days since you're, you're, you're in town.
0: Yeah, as long as they don't try to stick anything up my nose, I don't want to ruin protocols, and, and we're good, man.
1: Hey, dude, I'm fully back, so we're all good, but I got you.
0: <laughs> thank you for listening to Play by Players. Visit playbyplayerspod.com for more episodes or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This has been a production of the MLSPA. Learn more at mlsplayers.org.